John here, and we've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. Now that you've finished your latest Pirate Math SpongeCore Twitch trek, it's time to get it out there so everyone can hear it. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. And because you're a high-gain listener, you get 30% off. Just go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash high-gain. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash high-gain. And now DistroKid has an app. The DistroKid app is available for iOS and Android. You can download it at distrokid.com slash app or in the app and play stores. We'd like to take a minute to thank our pals over at Isotope, makers of software and plugins for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX11, is coming in May. Buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. We use Isotope products here at the High Gain. It's an important part of how we've been able to bottle pure podcast gold week after week. High Gain listeners get 10% off using the promo code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. That's all at isotope.com. I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hey, we'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Isotope, makers of software and plugins for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. We use Isotope products here at the High Gain. It's an important part of how we've been able to bottle pure podcast gold week after week. And guess what? Isotope offers one free month of Music Production Suite Pro, which has all the tools you need to mix, master, and repair audio. Also, you can get 10% off all other software using the promo code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. All of this is at isotope.com, I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hey, it's me, Ed Peterson. Hi, Ed. It's me, John Kiltica. What's going on, John? You know, doing stuff, taking names. Cool. Uh, how's your mustache? My mustache is still doing its thing. 2023. I think it's a stash-tastic. I think you can make it the whole year. You think? I think you can. Well... Stick it out. I gotta admit, I had a moment of weakness. Oh, don't do it. Keep it. I love it. Well, you know how that is. Mm Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you're like, screw it, I'm done with this. The joke's not funny anymore. Yeah. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. You know, I should tell the viewers yeah. that as we record this uh-huh. in the now times, yeah. it's the second episode we're doing in one day. We do that sometimes. We do do that. And so I have the pleasure mm-hmm. of watching Ed's Ugg boots Oh yeah. again. Yeah. This was recorded a couple of weeks ago, probably, when you're listening to it. Yes. So, world events, who knows what's happened? Probably nothing good. The Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. Oh, the kids over there? How do you think they're feeling about their shutdown balloon? I think they're pissed. 
If I were those kids, I would be not stoked with the U.S. government spending however many millions of dollars to shoot down some junior high science project. You know what would be great? We need to sponsor the Balloon Club. Get them a new balloon. Mm -hmm. The high gain logo. That'd be great. Yeah, and then the man comes beating our door down, wanting to know what we're doing in their airspace. Your airspace? I'm a taxpayer. It's my airspace, too. <laughs> I don't know if it works that way. I'm not sure. Beverages, John. Beverages in. I got a uh, coffee and a crow mug. Coffee and a crow mug. I too have coffee. Okay. Yes. We also both were both rocking the Athletic Brewing Company non-alcoholic beers. Yeah, we decided that we both like the hazy IPA the best, and then we pulled open the refrigerator door, and there was only one of those left. So I claimed home field advantage and took that one. Yep, and I took the yellow golden. That's great because it's, you know, middle of the day. I don't want to be bogged down with a heavy-duty beer. So this is a nice light golden. Tasty. It's super beery. Without being alcoholic. Without compromise, it says. Ah, look at this. Giving back. 2% of all sales go to restoring local trails. That's pretty good. Remember the Tennessee Valley Authority, the TVA? How they just flooded lots of people's homes? They did do that. I think around that time, though, the government also had a pretty big effort of employing, you know, the unemployed during the Great Depression. And they spent a lot of money building out trail systems. If you ever go walking in the Pacific Northwest into the mountains, there will be steps built out of big stone blocks to help you just walk a little easier. It's not uncommon throughout the country to have trails that are very well built. I think the Works Progress Administration programs were awesome. Mm -hmm. And God bless Athletic Brewing Company for helping to keep those trails in shape. They just shouldn't have to. I picked this guitar up and I don't even know what the chords were, but I was doing weird jazzy chords. Because nothing says hipster jazz cat mm -hmm. like two hot humbuckers going through a Friedman tube amp. This guitar, maybe it's got proggy vibes. This, Ed, mm -hmm. is a 1976 Ibanez 2680, more commonly known as the Bob Weir model. Bob Weir is our man from The Grateful Dead. I'm familiar. Yeah. Sort of. I got no dong for Bob. He's still kicking. No Bob dong. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So I thought I'd talk to you not only about this guitar with the two humbuckers, two volumes, two tones, and a pickup selector switch, but talk about how it came to be even. German carve. German carved top. Hella binding. Flying fingers pickups. I don't know about those. Etched in the pickup cover, a butterfly with a pointing finger. Let me see. What do you think of that? You see it? Weird. What a weird design. 
Huh. It was a difficult time, Ed. Yeah, the 70s. People were all fucked up. Oh, swear jar, John. So how did this come to be? We've talked about Ibanez all over the place and all different kinds of models and time eras. Yep. So late 60s, Ibanez in Japan is trying to figure out how to expand business. These athletic brewing company beers are great, John. They're pretty good. You were kind of on a thought there. Yeah. But I took a mouthful of that beer and I love it. That's okay. Okay. (laughs) So Ibanez was making guitars in Japan. The Hoshino Boys, that's the name of the family. Is that the Fujijin factory? Yeah. Okay. We're familiar with them. That factory goes on to this day. Yeah. They do. And they make some of the best guitars in the world. Always have. The craftsmanship is super high. How much do we bag on the Fuji Gen factory? Zero percent. Yeah, anything coming from the Fuji boys is top notch. Into it. So that's what was happening over there. Mm-hmm. The Hoshino boys are thinking they want to crack the United States. Crack that nut. How are they going to do that? I don't know. We need somebody in the U.S. who will rep our stuff mm-hmm. and distribute our stuff. Mm. If not flat out, begin to make our stuff. They find a guy, old Harry Rosenblum. I feel like that name's come up before. Yeah, he was a guy who owned a music shop outside Philadelphia called Medley Music. Philadelphia? Yes. Eventually, he starts a manufacturing business. He wants to also build guitars, our man Harry Rosenblum. So he forms the Elger Company. Sound familiar? Yep. Ben Salem, Pennsylvania, outside Philly. Is that like one word? Ben Salem, yeah. B-E-N-S-A-L-E-M? Yes. Used to be called... Cornwell's Heights, Pennsylvania. It is believed to be the town where Ben Franklin did his experiments with the kite and electricity. No kidding. Yeah. Discovered electricity. No one had even known it was a thing till Ben Franklin put a key on a kite. Yeah, over there in Cornwell's Heights. That dude liked to uh, get naked, do weird naked stuff. Air bath. Yeah. I think he called it. (laughs) I think in modern day times... I have a feeling that dude would be me tooed. And he'll be like, uh, electricity? Hello, woke mob. I'm just trying to wash myself with yeah, this air. With air. <laughs> These guys. Founding know fathers. Exactly. The Constitution is unassailable because these people were next level thinkers. <laughs> next level thinker dude wants to get naked? Yeah. Who am I? Right. So he starts at the Elger Company, which is a portmanteau, Ed. Elger, okay. For his two kids, Ellen and Gerson. Elastic German. His two kids, the Elastic oh, Germans. How cool would that be? The Elastic <laughs> German Airbath. New band name. Oh, man. So he was making flat top guitars. Okay. At some point, he stepped into big archtop jazz bodies. I guess it would have been 50s and 60s when he was doing all of this. Mm-hmm. For a specific reason. He got a whole bunch of big archtop jazz bodies at a fire sale. Oh. Do you remember when Epiphone wanted to move to Philadelphia and all those cats were like, fuck that, let's go on strike. We're not going to Philadelphia. Okay. Harry Rosenblum picked up these bodies when Epiphone went out of business because Gibson bought them. Yeah, I'll buy all that. It's so weird. You built all these bodies. How many resources go into building these bodies? Gibson buys them and they're just like, eh, fuck it. Yeah. 
By 1965 or so, Harry had made at Elger about 3,000 guitars. Made in air quotes because he just bought 3,000 bodies from Epiphone. Right, and finished them up. But it does make you wonder if you can find an Elger jazz box from the 50s or 60s. Mm -hmm. It's essentially an Epiphone. I wonder if it's any good and or how much it is. 1960s Elger jazz artist Archtop, USA made, Nitro Sunburst. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so this is one of those guitars. How much? $1,500. That's not bad at all. It's got cool pickups. So by 1970, though, yeah. Harry is importing guitars as well as the making of them. <laughs> Can we please keep saying making in air quotes? Yes. He's run out of guitars that he picked up at the fire sale, yeah. <laughs> and now he's ordering them from Japan. Yeah. Got it. He's ordering from Hoshino. Yep. He wants some of that action. Who doesn't? It's only natural then that when the Hoshino boys are like, we need the foothold in the U.S., do we know anybody there? How about Harry over at Elger? We know a guy who knows nothing about building guitars. (laughs) (laughs) That would make them pretty well placed, and they could also fly under the radar of the big boys. We can come in here with Harry and Elger, and we can get our infrastructure down and set this all up. Okay. So they negotiated with Harry, and that was the end of that. That's what happened. The Elger company would morph into the Hoshino company, today known as Ibanez USA. This guitar you're holding is not an Ibanez USA, though, is it? This one is not. Okay. At first, the Fuji boys were making the guitars. Right. And sending them over to Elger. Uh-huh. who would finish them and tweak them so they would be really good. This was not done in the day. You know how sometimes you get a brand new guitar, you take it out of the box, it doesn't even seem like it's been set up. Yeah. That was happening a lot in the 70s. Imagine a brand new Strat. This thing plays like crap. Right. Hoshino knew this, so they sent over a whole team of Fuji guys. Hey, how would you guys like to live in the U.S.? Where? Philadelphia. That sounds cool. Count us in. Philadelphia. Yeah. They send a bunch of the Fuji guys over. I love where there's this whole thing that America is this top quality country making amazing guitars. And Japan is this country that does second rate guitars. That's the prevailing perception. And then the guys in Japan are like, oh, God, we can't spin up a factory in the U.S. because they're going to fuck everything up. We got to send a crew over to QA these dicks. I love it. They wanted to take a strategy of having the best quality. Love it. So they would go to stores and show these guitars to dealers. And the dealers started noticing not only was the quality high, but these guys are interested in our opinion. Right. So the Elger guys and the Japanese guys that were working there as well would go in and say, like, what do you want? What do you want? What could make it better? What would you like to see? They would write this stuff down and implement it. To this day, that is certainly not the impression anyone has of, like, Gibson. Maybe it's softened a little bit now, but I feel like the Henry era was like, fuck you, take it and pay us. Be glad you got it. The frets are sharp like they're not finished. I got a sharp finish for you. Yeah. Can you check with somebody in the factory on how you guys are doing this? No. (laughs) How about no more guitars for you? Yeah. That feels nice and American, that attitude. So they were studying what was wrong with these instruments to the point where they would buy those instruments and send them back to the Fuji guys in Japan. 
We've studied this. Now you study it. Huh. I'm thinking about this applying to the 70s and the 80s in car manufacturing. Yeah. America was building those big ass, massive cars. And then those Japanese imports came in. Better quality, run forever, don't chew gas. And you know that GM and Ford and Dodge and all those companies are so dismissive. We don't have to worry about those guys because look at that tiny little thing. We don't care. Nobody, at least at that point, got agency if you were working on a line. In Japan, it was encouraged, hey, you see something wrong, press that button, the whole line stops. Yeah. And it doesn't start till it's fixed. Can you imagine in Detroit? Oh, oh my God. All right, who pushed the button? Exactly. So then the Fuji guys at Hoshino America start going to concerts, bringing instruments to show people. At some point, they take a double neck electric guitar (laughs) that they built. (laughs) Who should we bring this to? Right. Well, you know, next week in Philadelphia, the Grateful Dead are playing. All right, let's go there. So they did. They sit down with Bob Weir and they start talking to him and Bob Weir loves them. And they realize that Bob Weir has a completely open mind. He has no preconceived notions about what a guitar should or should not be. So he looks at the double neck and he's like, well, I don't really need a double neck. What if it was just one neck? (laughs) Here's some feedback. Yeah, we can do that. (laughs) We'll do it. Yeah. And you see that this thing has two humbuckers on it. Mm -hmm. The bridge humbucker is kind of far up the body. That's a lot of real estate between the bridge and the end of the body. Okay. That's because Bob Weir wanted three pickups, and he wanted one of them to be sliding. Have you ever seen those guitars where you can slide the pickup into place? Sure, like my Baronic. Yeah. So they did that for him, and he played it for like two years. They kept checking in with him. How do you like the guitar? Anything we can change? How do you like it? And at the end of that discussion, he said, well, you know what I've noticed? I never use all three pickups. Sure. And the sliding one, over the course of two years, I found a place where I like it, and I just leave it there. And that's where this is. Huh. Okay, great. We'll make you a version with just two pickups, and we'll make sure one of them is in the place where you'd like it to be. And that's this Ibanez 2680, which is the Bob Weir model. It's more or less the same thing that they built for him with the sliding pickup, but locked. Yes. Okay. This is the production model of a prototype. Right. You notice where the strings go in here is a yeah. big, huge block, block of brass. Yep. Imagine you route out in the body down as far as you can, and then you make this big block and sink it into the body right up against the end grain of where you've just cut out. Yep. It totally increases sustain through the body. That's like our good friend, Mr. Liggett over there at Liggett Guitars. It's a popular thing to do. It was back then and is becoming more so now because I think, here's just my theory, then you don't have to have those discussions about tone wood. (laughs) Make it out of whatever wood you want. Once you sink that block in it, that thing's just going to resonate every time you strum it. That just adds like a pound. I got to imagine it's at least a pound. I think it's pretty heavy. Yeah. 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 So how does it sound, Ed? Let's see. I am in the middle. It looks like an SG. SG-esque. It is SG-esque with a German carve on German carve, yeah. It's ash. It's got a cloud. Is it even called like the cloud headstock? Yeah, it could be. It looks puffy. The tailpiece has a curly Q thing behind where the strings go in, and that's known as the cloud. Oh. Yeah, a cloud. 
dot inlays. Binding on the neck, binding on the top of the body. You know what colors this thing came in? Natural and sunburst. No black. Mid-70s, maybe black just wasn't a thing happening. Natural wood, man. The 70s people were all messed up. I just found the name of the headstock. They call this a large scroll headstock. 22 fret ebony fretboard. The Super 80 Flying Fingers pickups. I've got it in the middle. Let's mm -hmm. see how bridgey it gets. That's nice. Mm -hmm. We're using the Friedman Little Sister 20 watt head again. 20 watt banger. It's nice. So that's Bridgie. Yeah. Let's go. Uh, necky. Necky. Woof. And then back to the middle. I tend to prefer it with more trouble. For sure. Maybe the pickups are kind of dark. They're pretty humbuckery sounding to yeah. me. So did Bob Weir continue playing this thing? In fact, yes. He played it for many years, and he said in interviews later on that he had multiples of these. Introduced in 76 to 1980. Oh. This particular one with these pickups, the Flying Fingers, mm -hmm. was only 76 to 79, three years. Okay. Not many of them out there. Weird. How weirdly collectible are these things? They're highly regarded I don't know about the Bob Weir aspect, yeah. but from just the craft, these guys were paying attention to every detail you can imagine. Yep. That's what they became known for. Yep. Did they have fancier versions? They did. At one point, they made another one for Bob Weir where they had the tree of life inlay all up the neck. And yep. I think they even called it the fancy. Really? Yeah, the cowboy fancy. Oh, I'm into that. Well, okay then, for not fancy. Yeah. In 1976. Oh. What are you paying for this Bob Weir <sighs> Ibanez model? At the time, was it marketed as a Bob Weir? It was. It was known as the Bob Weir model. Okay. 2680 Bob Weir. I did really bad on last week's where I went way under, and I don't want to overcompensate. I want to be correct. 1976. Were we yep. full-on recession at that point? More or less. Uh, $715, John. You overshot it. $535. Huh. What is that? That's 2400 bucks today. This is a case of my inflation calculator being way off. That's my bad. I apologize to the viewers. I know they expect better. Viewers, I've noted this, and I will be writing it up and having a conversation about a performance improvement plan Ooh. later. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that is the story of mm -hmm. how Ibanez... Got into the U.S. market. Right. They've been here ever since. Yep. And it all started with, among other things, the Bob Weir model. You gotta try it. Try and decide. Is it hello or goodbye? Goodbye or goodbye. Natural finish. Yeah. It's got a German carf. Okay. Flying fingers pickups. Mm-hmm. And a cloud bridge. Everyone loves that. Yeah. The Ibanez 2680 Bob Weir Ed. Yep. Buy or deny. John. Yes. Can you go first? Can I go first? Yeah. I just want to hear like your thoughts. Uh, deny. 
Really? Yeah. Okay. Only because two humbuckers, I kind of have that. Yep. But I guess if we're being objective for the sake of the viewers. Sure. Buy it. Sure. <laughs> I still have not found the clever way to synthesize what I personally would do versus right. what I want to impart to a listener. Well, I think when I look at it, you made a really good decision with the S100. Because the Guild, oh, it's an SG, but it's not an SG. Yeah. This is like that. I've got an Explorer. I've also got, you know, a couple variants of two humbuckers. But I don't have an SG shape. And I think this is a very cool example where I would play this not exactly for the irony sake, but for the, oh, that's cool, what is that sake? And also, if you had this, you get that kind of rippy humbucker sound without needing ever again, really, a Les Paul. <laughs> but I also like SGs, and this is kind of that. I'm a pretty big buy on it, just because it's weird. I dig a lot about this guitar. And it's in that weird spot. It's cheap enough where it's not the super collectible. That's another thing to keep in mind if a person is like, well, you know, I want to get the most for my money. Yeah. Hey, John. Yeah. How'd we do this week? I think we did pretty good, Ed. I think yeah. you did great. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to take pictures of this mm -hmm. like we do. Yeah. I'm going to put them on the Instagram. Okay. Put them on the website. And you know who's going to like that when they see it? Joe and the boys yeah. over there at Ruinous. The Ruinous Media Network of music-related podcasts. That is exactly who that is. Oh, my God. Yeah. We love being a part of that. Yeah. Those guys are great. Yeah, they're going to be so excited when they get this episode. I wonder if they get complaint mail on our behalf. I hope they have an intern just over there, like, just doing nothing but going through, like, what's with these two? Uh, hey, Joe, there's another one. All right, Ed. Good job, John. Oh, uh, you too. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.